the great American poet from New Jersey, John Bon Jovi, sang, It's my life, and it's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. And a few decades before him, another New Jersey boy named Francis Sinatra sang, That's life. That's what people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm going to change that tune when I'm back on top, back on top in June. Clearly, New Jersey is a place of deep philosophical reflection and soul-searching, where you ask those big questions about the meaning of life. Where's all this going? Why am I here in New Jersey? And what is that smell? Well, we are going to join these great philosopher poets from Jersey for the next few weeks, and we're going to look at our understanding of life, what our culture says about it, and what scripture tells us about life. We thought the game of life was a catchy title, and if you've played the board game, uh, which chances are you have, because it dates back to the 19th century, amazingly enough, this game, If you've played it, then you will know what our culture thinks life is all about from a broad perspective. There's a very clear idea of success and a clear path to get there. When you hear Bon Jovi say, I just want to live while I'm alive, it begs the question, what is it to really live? Then you hear Sinatra say, I'm going to be back on top in June. And you start to hear what our understanding of the good life is, what the American dream is. And the game of life captures this in high relief, right? You start out going to college, graduate, get a good job, get married, maybe have some kids, work your way up the ladder, become a millionaire, and retire rich. Boom. Success. You win the game. As our video sums it up, The one who dies with the most money wins. This is the game that most of the world around us is playing. Along the way, there are potential surprises in this game, things that might affect your ability to obtain wealth and stay wealthy. Having kids seems to be the biggest surprise, frankly, on the board. And it's an even bigger surprise if you have twins, Obviously, uh, children are not the same priority that they used to be. But it's good news for those of you who do not have kids. You've still got a chance to win. But for those of us who have kids, sorry. Uh, There's basically no chance. It reminds me of something my dad once said to me. He's retired now and was very successful in commercial real estate. And I once asked him how much he thought he had made over his career. Possibly an inappropriate question, but when have I ever been one to be appropriate, right? Anyhow, my dad, who has seven kids, actually, and the first two were twins, by the way, he said to me, I don't know, Sean, it was a lot, but it's all gone now. There's the game of life for you. My dad actually, interestingly enough, lived the American dream. He grew up in northeast Pennsylvania, 
And that's the actual name of the town, not the region of the state. It's a suburb of the booming metropolis that is Erie, Pennsylvania, which is in northwest Pennsylvania. But northeast is known for two things, other than the massive amounts of snow that they get during the winter. It's right on Lake Erie, and it is the home of the main Welch's factory. So you have most likely enjoyed a delicious glass of grape juice from northeast Pennsylvania. In addition to that, Northeast uh, is famous for another thing. A few years ago, ESPN uh, took a poll of all the different mascots in the country, of all the different kinds of teams, and they voted that Northeast High School, where my dad played basketball, football, and track, had the worst mascot in all of the country. They are called the Grape Pickers. The Northeast Grape Pickers. So just think of having to go play the mighty Grape Pickers. We're not talking about panthers or tigers. We're talking about people that pick grapes. But they have very, very strong fingers. So, you know, that could be, that could be dangerous, intimidating stuff. I'm not really one to talk because... I went to Quaker Valley High School in Pittsburgh, and I was a fighting Quaker, which literally makes no sense at all. The Quakers are pacifists, for crying out loud. Anyhow, my dad grew up in a small blue-collar town. His dad was a cop, and his mom drove a school bus, my grandparents. And after he graduated from Northeast, he went to school at University of Louisville, he played basketball, basketball there too, by the way, but it was not a huge improvement in mascot. He went from a great picker to being a cardinal, still not very scary. But then he went on to graduate school at Pitt, where he finally ended uh, as a panther, praise God, something respectable. But he got, he got a good job in city development out of graduate school, and he worked his way up. And eventually he started his own commercial real estate company, which he finally merged with an international firm. So he's a success story. A small-town, blue-collar kid who goes and becomes a white-collar executive in the big city. And at the same time, as we said, he had a lot of kids, which meant he had to pay for a lot of colleges and college educations. And I'm so grateful he did that was one of the best things I ever got from my parents was a debt-free start in life. And, but then five of his kids, five of the seven, are girls, which meant he had to pay for a lot of weddings, too. Hence his hilarious answer to my question. I don't know. It was a lot, but it's all gone now. He did not retire a millionaire. He doesn't live in a huge mansion driving fancy sports cars. You know, he drives a Prius. But he and my mom are content. They consider themselves blessed. And it's because of one of the other things that he actually said to me during that same conversation. He said when things got really tight at times, which they did, when the unexpected happened, like jobs not working out the way that he thought they would, or finding out that one of their daughters, my sister, had cancer, 
or when his own kidneys began to fail because of kidney disease and more. He told me that no matter how rough it got, because life really is never simple, it is never quite what it seems to be on the surface, even when you're living the American dream. No matter what people are presenting to you, you can always know there is a whole other story going on below the surface. He said, no matter how rough it got, the Lord always provided what they needed. He always carried them through. He was always faithful to them. That's my father's witness to me. It's the greatest thing that he has ever taught me. The faithfulness of the Lord Jesus to his people. And this, this is the Christian picture of life. It's one of learning more and more of God's faithfulness to those he loves. It's exactly the good news that Jesus tells us in our gospel reading today. That he is the good shepherd and he cares for his sheep. Jesus tells us about himself in this passage. That's his main focus. We might be tempted to read this passage and the rest of the Bible for that matter, thinking this is all about us. And that we need to figure out how we're supposed to behave or, you know, uh, act in light of what Jesus is saying. This is often where people go when reading scripture, but it's missing the point. Jesus is telling us who he is and what he does for us. We're certainly in there. We are the sheep after all, but what does that actually say about us, right? Well, first, it says that we're valuable. It says that we matter. We are important to the shepherd. We belong to him. It also says that we're cute, right? Ah, that's always nice to hear. A cute little lamb, you know? And at the same time, it is a picture of a group, the sheep, that has a lot of needs. This would not have been lost on Jesus' disciples and his audience. They would have had a lot of experience with sheep and what they require. They probably had a brother that was a shepherd or something. You know, one of our seminarian professors, uh, his name was Leander Harding, he was an actual shepherd before becoming a pastor and a teacher. And he told us the main thing about sheep is that they cannot take care of themselves. They need to be cared for. They need protection from predators. Jesus is very clear in our passage today that in John 10, that we sheep live in a dangerous world where there are thieves and robbers and wolves. And we're unable to defend ourselves against them. Sheep need protection, protection from the outside, protection from threats on the outside, but they also need protection from themselves at times. Leander told us that sheep will even eat themselves to death if they are too hungry or if they find grass that they really, really like, you know, good green pastures. They will literally keep eating until they die. They won't stop. It's like me with donuts or, you know, watching episodes of the Grand Tour on Amazon. I just can't stop. 
The other thing is that sheep also wander off all the time. They wander off and get lost. They need someone who will go after them. Someone who will call them home. They're really not that smart, okay? They need a lot of care. That's us. If you want to know what we bring to the table in this passage, that's it. We bring a whole lot of need and nothing else. Now that will sound like bad news to you if you think you're independent. And if you think that you're winning this game of life, you know, if you're sure that you're going to be back on top in June, you might balk at Jesus calling you a sheep. But if you've ever experienced life not working out the way you expected, if you, like my parents' story earlier, have gone through or are going through right now a really rough time, then hearing that description of being a sheep is not a surprise to you. It rings true. It actually might be comforting because you hear that someone out there really actually knows you and knows what you are going through. You know how needy you are, or at least you're starting to. And that's why it's such good news that Jesus is telling us about himself here. This passage is about him, and he makes us promises in this passage that answer our need. He gives us a picture of life in him. It's a picture of safety in the midst of a dangerous world. That's what John 10 is really telling us. Jesus first tells us in this passage that he calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. He knows our tendency to wander off. He knows that we are lost on our own. We're like sheep without a shepherd, as he says elsewhere in the gospel. He promises us that he calls us. He pursues us and brings us back to safety. He brings us back to himself. And he does it in a way that we will hear. That's what he says. He does it in a way that we will respond to. He calls us by name. So often we make the Christian life about us trying to run after Jesus, trying to find him wherever he is, you know, as if he's somewhere else, as if he's not with us. That is not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that Jesus comes after us. He comes to where we are. And he makes this amazing promise about us here. It's one that I think we often doubt. He tells us that when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep will follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, he says. But they will flee from the stranger, for they do not know the voice of strangers. He's telling us that when we have been called by him, we will follow. We will follow him. We will know his voice. We will not follow strangers, right? Stranger danger, stranger danger. We will follow Jesus's voice because we know we belong to him. He is our safety. Jesus is promising that to us. 
in the rest of our passage is Jesus unpacking this more. He acknowledges the dangers of this world. He describes the fact that there are thieves and robbers and wolves, that they, that they are after us, the sheep, and they only seek to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the world that we live in. He's painting a very clear picture for us. And we all know it. We all know this to be true. They, they might be literal thieves and robbers. You might have people in your life that are out to get you or are set against you, or you may have experienced being robbed before. You know, and how, what a violation that is and how uh, unsettling you f- it feels. At the same time, this also includes the unexpected events of life that cause you fear and anxiety, that discourage you, that rob you of your peace. Maybe it's an illness for you or an illness for a loved one. Maybe it's addiction Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's a broken relationship or missing someone that you've lost. Maybe it's fear for your kids. You know, we're just about to start school again. Maybe you're afraid about your kids going off to college for the first time. Or you're afraid for your children going back to school. Maybe it's legal problems or financial problems or trouble at your work. Whatever it is in your life right now, you understand what Jesus means when he talks about the thief. You understand the danger of this world. And what does Jesus tell us? What does he say in this passage? He tells us that he is stronger than the thief. He is stronger than anything that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He tells us that he is the door for us and that we are saved through him. It's a picture of of him guarding us. In him, we will find pasture. In him, we will find what we need. We will be safe. He tells us that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. You know, the predators of this world, and ultimately the thief, the devil, may try to destroy all that we have. There, and there may be times when it even seems like it's working, when we feel lost, when we feel discouraged, when we feel destroyed. But Jesus promises us that he gives us life and life more abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He promises to protect you at all costs. That's what he's saying. He's saying nothing will get to you unless it goes through me first. He promised to sacrifice everything for you. And he did. He laid down his life for you so that you may have life and have it abundantly. That means that even when it seems like the thief is winning, even when life has gotten very rough, when you are feeling uh, overwhelmed, when you are losing hope, you have this promise that Jesus is your protector. Jesus is your defender. Jesus is your good shepherd. 
And this thing, this person, this event, whatever it is in your life that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, even it, especially it, will be redeemed by the Lord. He will display his power over it, and he will use it to bring more life for you. That's his promise, that he has come to give you life and life abundantly. It's just like in my dad's testimony, his witness to me that even in the midst of financial struggles, even in the midst of cancer for his daughter, which, praise God, she was healed of cancer, cured, and even in the midst of kidney failure that he suffered, Jesus proved faithful to him, and he will to you too. He promises to. And you can count on it. You can actually hold him to it. One of our mentors, uh, he's a professor actually um, in the Lutheran world. His name is Stephen Paulson. He's one of my favorites. Uh, He would say this to us. He said, in your prayers, you can remind the Lord, remind God, of his promises to you. You can hold him to his promises. That's one of the amazing gifts of prayer. And we see it all throughout scripture. We see the biblical characters again and again and again, reminding God of his covenant with them. You know, the psalmist, if you just go and read so many of the Psalms, David and the other Psalm writers continually remind God and ask him to remember his promises to them. And in your prayers, you can tell the Lord, remind him, you promised to be my good shepherd. You promised to protect me. You promised to lead me and to give me life and life more abundantly. There is nothing that Jesus likes more than when his children remind him of his promises, because that is exactly what he is completely committed to doing. Our God in heaven, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is completely 100% committed to keeping his promises to you, to proving faithful to you. And we know this is true because he laid down his life for his sheep. He paid the greatest cost. He laid down his life for you. He made this covenant with you in his own blood. It's what we celebrate and remember every Sunday when we do, when we celebrate communion. He made a covenant with us. This is my blood, the sign of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus has done. He has made his promise and he has sealed it with his own blood. And as he says later in John 10 in verse 18, He says, I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it back up again. He has proven that he keeps his promises by conquering death for you. This is the power of Jesus. This is the power of your good shepherd. Nothing will stop him from keeping this promise to you, even death itself. He will take death and he will use it to bring you more life. That is power. He has already done it. He has risen from the dead for you so that your sins are forgiven once and for all and that they are removed from you forever and so that you might have eternal life with him, true abundant life. 
So that means Bon Jovi was actually wrong. I know that's a shock, but because of Jesus, you are going to live forever. Even your death, the ultimate weapon of the enemy, of the thief, is now redeemed by Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is now the way to new life. Death is no longer the final say. It's no longer the final story about you. You will be raised again with Jesus Christ. This is the Christian life. And we will see it over the next few weeks that our God uses absolutely everything, every single thing, to give you more and more life. He will prove faithful to you. He is the Good Shepherd. He is your safety. Enter in through him today and be saved. Find that good pasture. Enter in through Jesus Christ today and find your peace. Amen.